0: All of those books are available on Amazon, as well as everywhere else books are sold. That's Travel Light, Knowing Where to Look, and Bliss More. All right, back to the show.
1: I had achieved everything that I had set out to do with natural hair. So by 2013, with the book launch, which was in January 2013 with HarperCollins, the book was out. I had been on Steve Harvey's radio show many times. I had done television, like the major national programs, had been in New York Times, had been in USA Today and The Guardian and InStyle and Essence and Ebony, like all of the major places. But I could see that I wasn't happy. You know, I have a healthy kid by this point. You know, I'm married. We have a great house, have a very nice car. I have my health. My family has their health the business is doing great. You know, I've got great contracts and sponsorships, but it's like every morning I would wake up checking email compulsively, waiting for the next news, the next big thing, the next article, the next feature. And I could see that even when I got it, when I did get the email that, oh, you get to interview Shaka Khan. Because at the time, still folks were not giving interviews to bloggers because they were scared. Like it was a new thing. And I got hundreds of them between 08 and 2013 because I was out there hustling and it's hard dealing with those gatekeepers, those agents and managers, you know, but I wanted to be able to bring the natural hair stories of these women in the limelight to my readership. So I'm doing this and I'm working overtime and I'm like, no matter what I achieve and no matter, I could interview Michelle Obama. And I still wouldn't be happy because I'm like, who's next? What's next? What's next? What's next? Like that happiness was always around the corner. Like true success was always around the corner. No matter what I achieved, it wasn't enough for this ego, the way this ego was set up. I could feel that. And I was looking around at other successful people and I could see that same energy there. And I'm like, I don't want to live like this.
0: Hello there, it's Light Watkins, and you are listening to At the End of the Tunnel, which is a podcast about so many things, hope, inspiration, stories about people who've overcome all kinds of obstacles to find their calling, but most importantly, people who've actually taken action on their calling. And this week's guest is no different. She's got a very interesting journey that I think a lot of you are going to find inspiring. Her name is Nikki Walton. She's more popularly known as Curly Nikki. And Nikki is one of the most physically beautiful black women and just people in general that I have ever seen, although I haven't met her in person yet. But the reason I'm talking about her physical beauty is because like a lot of black women, especially here in America, Nikki went through this period of time where she thought that she had to look a certain way in order to be perceived as beautiful mainly related to her hair. She grew up in the South where straightening your hair with a hot comb on a regular basis was just something you did as a black girl. And the rite of passage was on occasion you would get burned on your ear or on your forehead by these hot combs, but your hair was straight. And so the payoff was you fit in to the dominant society. And you also secretly despised your natural hair texture. But if it rained or if it was humid or everybody was going swimming or people were exercising, you had a major problem on your hands because your straight hair was not going to respond well to the water or to the sweat or to the humidity. And when you grow up like this, two things end up happening. Number one, all that straightening of your hair and using relaxers and whatnot ends up damaging your hair and or your scalp and number two you start developing a complex around the hair that you were born with anyway this was nikki's experience all the way through college until one day she said enough is enough and she decided to start wearing her hair naturally she got pushed back from her own family which obviously didn't make her decision to go natural any easier but she also realized the importance of creating a community for other black women who also felt a desire to embrace their natural hair. And she started a blog called Curly Nikki, which became huge. And that led to television appearances over the years and sponsorship deals and all the things that come with being unafraid to put yourself out there. Except while on the outside, it looked like Nikki was a success. She actually was starting to get burned out. She was working 24-7 on building her brand while also juggling being a mom and a wife and nurturing friendships, and it all came to a head, and she realized that she didn't have a strong enough spiritual foundation to sustain it. So she decided to pivot, and she went on a quest to develop herself spiritually, and then that led her to starting a podcast collaboration with the Be Here Now Network, and she's currently got one of the top 10 spiritual podcasts in the world called Good Mornings with Curly Nikki. I really love this conversation because there were some fun twists and turns. And whenever I get to talk to another podcaster, I always seem to extract some amazing stories. So you're, you're in for a good one with this episode, especially if this is the first time you've ever listened to At the End of the Tunnel. Now, before we get into the conversation with Nikki, I want to make sure that you also know about Knowing Where to Look, which is my book of inspiration that just came out. If you're looking for some inspiration, knowing where to look is like an ocean of inspiration. These are personal stories, anecdotes, and observations that you can read in a sort of choose-your-own-adventure style, basically whenever you need a boost of inspiration or some additional perspective on whatever you happen to be going through right now in life. It was a five-year process in, in, in creating these doses and sending them out to my email list and whatnot. And the first printing sold out in a few weeks. So please don't wait to order yours if you haven't done so already. It's available everywhere books are sold. And without further ado, let us now dive into my conversation with Nikki Walton. Nikki, thank you so much for joining At the End of the Tunnel. I'm super honored to have you on the podcast and to hear more about your story. But more than that, to introduce my audience to you and everything that you've been up to, because it's been quite the journey. And I think you're going to inspire. I think hearing your story will inspire a lot of people. So thanks for coming on.
1: Uh, thank you. I'm honored and a big fan of your work. You know, You coined a term. That I learned years ago, and I use it all the time, meditation. And so, because oh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, when you said it, it was a random like IG post I scrolled past. And when you said it, I'm like, that is dope because that's what I do. I just sit up in bed. I don't, well, I used to, like, I wouldn't get out of bed. And I'll tell you that story about how I actually do have to now get out of the bed. But that meditation, that meditating, I do that and it's very effective. And I'm like, that is genius, that word. So you should get that in the dictionary.
0: Hey, we're working on it. (laughs) (laughs) So let's start from the beginning, right? You were born in Pensacola, Florida. Yep. Mm -hmm. What was going on in Pensacola, Florida?
1: Ah, You know, it's funny. So Pensacola, I say because that's more popular, but it was actually Fort Walton Florida, which is like right next to Pensacola. My dad was in the Air Force and my mom was just out of high school living in Pensacola. And they met at a skating rink and got married. And then I came along shortly thereafter and they immediately moved to St. Louis, Missouri. And that's where I was raised.
0: You guys moved because of his uh, he, you yeah, get... his
1: work and his family. So all of my dad's family was there in St. Louis and his work was there.
0: Well, So you were raised in St. Louis then?
1: Exactly. In Ferguson. In Ferguson. In Ferguson. Sorry, which became very famous, you know, unfortunately. Yeah. But yeah, that's, that was- All that's the wrong, my
0: for all death. the wrong reasons.
1: Yes. Yes, yes, yes. But I was never, like, I was not surprised when it was all happening because I grew up there. I knew how it was. So when I heard the news the day it happened, you know, with Mike Brown, I was not surprised, unfortunately.
0: Right. You were like, what took him so long to get this stuff on camera? <laughs> this exactly. is crazy.
1: Exactly.
0: Let's go back to childhood then. You're growing up in Ferguson. Thinking back to little Nikki or Alicia, do you recall having a favorite toy or activity as a child?
1: I loved reading and I liked reading scary things, like very paranormal. I was a very weird child. So I liked... Scary stories, like even scary children's stories. That's what I wanted to get from like the scholastic bookstore. You know, like whenever they come to the school, like that's what I purchased. I think I had a doll or two, but reading has always been my thing. That's what I did from as early as I can remember.
0: Would you just go pick up a book on your own? Would your mom or dad really reinforce you know, the value of reading?
1: Education supremely. That was huge in the household. But it wasn't like I was seeing them read, you know, because they were busy trying to provide for me and then my little sister who came along four years later. But it was an escape. And when I look back at old videos, my mom pulled some out with me like at seven, eight, nine. You know, I looked sad. I looked serious. More than sad, I looked really serious I did not look like a normal kid. And it was funny in every scene, like my sister would be jumping rope and I'd be off like kind of in the corner looking like pensive, like looking off (laughs) and or reading or, you know, just not doing the normal kid things. Like I never jumped rope. I didn't do gym. You know, I did everything I could do to avoid those types of things. And the teachers were cool with me. So they let me sit in the room during lunch breaks and read very to myself very strange child. And very I asked a lot of questions. I was raised Catholic, was a black Catholic, you know, in St. Louis, Missouri. And I had so many questions about like death and dying and what came after that. And you know, my parents couldn't answer and the priests couldn't answer. And I'm like, who wrote the Bible? Where did this come from? Where's Jesus? And you know, they're like, Who is this kid? And so that's when I started reading not just like ghost story books, but like other types of books. And, you know, I was searching at that age, like seven, eight, nine, ten years old, really like 10 looking at like out of body experiences, just things that you would never think that a 10 year old would be in the new age owl, you know, at the library looking for.
0: Did all that reading translate to being very studious and getting good grades and stuff like mm-hmm. that in school Were you'd like yep. at the yep. top of your class, super yeah. motivated?
1: That was like my... Identity, you know, because I was a weird kid and I didn't have a lot of friends. So I'm like, well, at least I'm smart, you know, and I get good grades. And I went to gifted schools. So that was definitely my thing. Like, I don't have a lot of friends, but I get good grades. But I was really hard on myself. And there was a lot of stress and anxiety around that. Like, I would never go back to school, never go back to high school, any of it. I wouldn't want to go back to that time.
0: Were you going to mostly black schools or white schools or mixed schools? You know, in the
1: beginning, like grade school it was mostly black folks, but like by the time I got to high school, it was a gifted school. It's still the number one school, high school in Missouri. It's a good mix, but it's small. So the class was only forty something people. And we had all been to all the same school. So we'd known each other since we were like eight. There was no sports teams really. Like there was no football, of course. I think there was basketball, but I didn't care. Uh, it was an intro it like the campus was open in high school, which you don't really see too much. At least I hadn't seen it. And there were no other schools in that state that were like that. So it was an interesting experience growing up. And I definitely felt very different from everybody. I always felt like an outsider, even with the friends I did make, you know, in the groups that I belonged to, and the clubs I belonged to, I always felt like an observer, like I was there, but I wasn't fully participating always like a foot in and one foot out
0: hey there really quickly have you wanted to find your purpose or be more grateful or start a daily meditation practice but you're not quite sure where to begin well if inner work is like a drop of water the happinessinsiders.com is like your ocean that's my online community where you can learn real world techniques For cultivating more fulfillment from the inside out. So whether it's learning how to manifest abundance or access your potential or overcome fear or even just start walking every day, I've got a blueprint for you, which means you no longer have to use any more shoddy guesswork. And you don't have to use the lone wolf approach to improving yourself. For a small accountability fee, you'll get community. You'll get accountability directly from me. And you'll get comprehensive instructions for getting your meditation practice off the ground. And for my podcast listeners, you'll receive 30% off of the all-access pass if you go to TheHappinessInsiders.com right now and use the promo code HAPPY. Again, TheHappinessInsiders.com. Enter the promo code HAPPY and you'll get 30% off on a yearly all-access pass which gives you access to dozens of inner work challenges and masterclasses, such as my 108-day meditation challenge, which has an 80% completion rate. Plus, you get to join me live for weekly meditations on Zoom and much, much more. That's TheHappinessInsiders.com. The code is HAPPY. All right, back to the episode. Did you just feel like you couldn't relate to what they were interested in or they couldn't relate to what you were interested in?
1: I feel like I could not relate to what they were interested in. I don't ever even remember folks being super curious about what I was reading or what I was into. And I would share because that's who I am. Like I'm a sharer. So if I'm excited about something and that's what made me you know, successful, I synthesize and I share. But I don't really remember. And if they were, I was too into my own stuff. to notice that they cared about what I was doing. But yeah, I just, I don't, when people get into like different shows and, you know, different trends and fads, I'm usually the last to find out about it. And I just, I don't care. And I've said that so many times my sister laughs, but it's the truth. You know, like I can see both sides of things often, you know, I'm focused on what I'm focused on and what it has been for much of my life is why we're here, what this is.
0: Were there any sayings or ideologies or mantras that you remember your parents echoing throughout your teenage years or maybe even yeah. your younger years that you still remember today? Maybe the, you know some things that didn't make sense then, but now they kind of make more sense.
1: Exactly. That's the first thing that came to my mind because I just reminded my mom of this. She used to tell me because I get very easily annoyed, like, my buttons, I must wear them like outwardly somewhere because my sister, when I was growing up, she could press it and I'd be really, really, really upset. And my mom would always say like, don't let anyone disturb your inner peace. Don't let anybody disturb your inner peace. And I'd heard it a million times and I didn't get it until like the last 10 to 15 years. So I'm like, ah, right. <laughs> exactly. You know, This is an internal situation. And if I'm giving my power away, Any and everything can disturb this inner peace. But when I would hear it from her as a child, I'm like, whatever. That person made me very angry.
0: (laughs) How are you thinking about success during those earlier years? Like, where did you see yourself becoming when you grew up or got out of school and that kind of thing?
1: My parents were like, you need to be a doctor or a lawyer. That was like standard And, and you know, like the Cosby show, that kind of thing. You know, it's like those are the only two options or something, a doctor or a lawyer. For me, as I got toward the end of high school, for some reason, I got into journalism because I had been writing a lot. So I read a bunch and then I started writing. So I have like hundreds of notebooks with half written novels as a child. So I thought it'd be kind of cool to Talk about the news. Like, I don't know. And so I took a tour of one of the local St. Louis news stations, the newsroom stations. And I remember the woman, she was an anchor for the nightly news. And she gave me the tour. And at the end, she's like, You're gorgeous and you're really smart. She's like, You shouldn't be delivering the news. You'll be the one being covered. And I'm like, That's really sweet. And I almost actually did major in journalism, but at the last minute, I actually went into psychology. Because there was still a part of me that was like, ah, doctor, that seems like a really successful thing, like a really successful space to go into. But I'm like, who's going to do like pre-med and med? So psych, psychology felt like an, an easier access door. Also, I'm neurotic, so I'm like, maybe I can figure out what's happening <laughs> with me if I study, you know, the mind and how things work.
0: also talked about growing up as a young black girl and seeing black women on television and their hair was always straight so can you just talk a little bit about your relationship with your hair growing up and give context to what a lot of black girls growing up especially in america experience in relationship to their hair
1: yes so most black girls that are from my age group, so I am i just turned 38 in May, we grew up with our hair straightened and most of them, we had two choices. You'd either get chemical relaxers for your hair, which like straightens it using harsh chemicals, which can burn your scalp. It burns your skin and it destroys your hair over time. Or you can get your hair heat straightened, which is what my family opted for. My father had a rule in the house for my sister and I that we could not get chemical relaxers until we were old enough to make that decision for ourselves. So we had to get the hot comb, the pressing comb, which was this metal comb that in the beginning, when I was a really little girl, the only option was to put it on the stove to get it hot. And then it was taken to your blow dried hair, which is blow drying is another heat process I'm sure you're familiar with. Blow out the hair first, and then you get the hair hot combed with some form of oil or lubricant. And there's smoke and it's scary, and you often would get burned just a little bit, and it, it's, it was like almost like a rite of passage because when I hit like seven, every Easter, every picture day, you had to have your hair straight. It couldn't just be in the regular little poofy ponytails. You had to look good, right? Quote, unquote, you had to look like you were well taken care of, so your hair had to be straightened, and so I became aware that I only felt pretty or acceptable when my hair was straight, and as time went on, like by high school, we didn't really have the hot combs on the stove anymore. You had flat iron. So now you can plug in a hot tool into the wall and flat iron, straighten your hair. But the problem is if you have highly textured hair, like most black people do, it does the, the heat styling is very temporary. So if you go outside and it's humid, even a little bit humid, your hair is going to frizz up. It's going to revert to its natural texture, to its natural pattern. If it's raining outside, that's going to happen. So there's this level of stress in your life that's always there. If you just got your hair straight or if it's been straight for a week and you're trying to keep it that way and you know it's humid out. And so if you want to just go enjoy yourself at the park or enjoy yourself at the beach or at a picnic the whole time, in the back of your mind, it's like, what's my hair looking like? What's my or if you go to a club? That's another thing, you know, like if you're at a party. I remember like walking past a mirror, like after being at a party for two hours and like almost afraid to look in the mirror, like, what am I looking like? And of course, my hair would be like three inches shorter than what it was when I got there because of just sweating it out. And that sucks. That's no way to live, to be concerned about something so inherent to you like your hair like how it grows from your scalp You can't manipulate that in a way that's going to make you feel good about yourself. You can't change it so severely It's damaging not just to your hair with relaxers It's damaging to your body and then just overall it's damaging to your soul to your spirit And so I felt ugly. I felt ugly up until I learned to embrace my hair and it took me until the end of college to get to that place
0: when you say that relaxing your hair burns your scalp, right? You have little girls, five, six, I and mean, girls who are relaxing their hair now. And even yeah. back then, what level of pain or discomfort are we talking about when it comes to burning your scalp and damaging your scalp and, Ooh, and damaging yeah. your hair?
1: You can Google and see chemical burns. Some of these girls were as young as three four, five years old, because the moms didn't know what to do with their children's hair because they weren't taught. We were never taught to care for our hair. We were only taught how to beat it into submission. So it's not it was not my mom's fault. It wasn't her mom's fault. It's a product of us living in this society, in this culture. And so women would have these babies and their hair would be glorious and highly textured, you know, super curly. And instead of learning how to work with it, because none of us were taught that, we knew how to relax it. And so if the if the relaxer is applied improperly, if it's left in too long, you stand the risk of getting burns and the pain can be minor but still there. So people talk about, cause I've never had one. So I've heard stories, you know, I've talked to women that have experienced them for years and finally got to move past them. And they would just say like, it it could start off as an itching, like where they want to scratch it, but they can't because that would make it worse. And, you know, then it gets rinsed and hopefully that like kind of quells the fire. But if it's left in too long, it can and will burn and leave permanent marks. So it's dangerous. It's no joke.
0: And a lot of that really is also, you know, the images that we see in media are of people with straight hair. So, societally speaking, we black people we feel like we need to have our hair straight in order to fit in or in order to look appropriate. Look and these and look professional,
1: kinds of right? yeah,
0: look professional and these kinds of things. So it's it's indoctrinated into our communities from very very early on. Yeah. And you mentioned in one article that you wouldn't even, when you would go to the beauty salon, you wouldn't even look at yourself in the mirror until after
1: your hair was done. So ugly. And it's crazy because you're sitting in a salon with a bunch of women that look like you, you know, it's a salon full of black women in various stages of getting their hair straightened. And I'd get my hair washed and I could touch it and feel it. And it'd be so shrinky. And even just the touch of it, like the feel of it, I'm like, oh, this is, I'm ugly. I wouldn't want the women in the room to see me. And I couldn't look at myself in the mirror because I can't until my hair is straight again. And then when it was straight, you couldn't tell me nothing. <laughs> you couldn't tell me anything. I felt glorious again until my hair got frizzy. And then it was just it was a cycle. So it was like every one and a half, two week cycle of up and down with my confidence.
0: But then it also affects your choice to be involved in athletics, to go exact, swimming, swimming,
1: just learn to how be to outside, swim
0: just being outside <laughs> during summertime. Yeah.
1: yeah. Can't get in a drop top. Normal things like it greatly impacts the way you live. Yeah. It's like, you're not free. You're not free. If you can't just go somewhere, like go on vacation without being concerned about quote unquote, what you're going to do with your hair. You know, you can't just, there's so many things where your hair is the first thought and that's, it's not healthy.
0: So I'm familiar with the hot comb and, you know, all the things you're talking about, but I think a lot of guys, even black guys don't appreciate how much goes into that process that you're alluding to. I do remember back in uh, high school, there was this one woman, one of my classmates, and people used to do these really elaborate hairstyles back Mm -hmm. then. Mm-hmm. She literally would sleep in a chair wow, yeah. so that she didn't mess her hairstyle Sleepin
1: up. Sleeping cute. <laughs> <laughs> Sleeping we've all done that. You know, I have never set up in a chair because I never for had days any of those at a time. Styles. She would sleep but, yeah.
0: in a chair so she didn't mess up her hair before whatever event she got her hair done for. Is that like
1: those is, stacked styles? Like yeah, it's one of, of those stacked yeah, styles, yeah. exactly. <laughs> which F- is w- crazy. It's
0: crazy. <laughs> yeah
1: i never had the fancy styles, but I do remember sleeping in a way that like I wouldn't risk sweating in my sleep because you'd wake up with a fro and that was not the goal.
0: And this is not unique to you. This is, this is everyone you knew.
1: This is across the board,
0: across (laughs) the board.
1: And even when you would get your hair chemically relaxed, it's supposed to be more permanent, right? That's why you're using the chemicals but their hair would still revert. They still dealt with humidity, just not to the extent as someone who had their hair heat styled, but also their damage could be more severe. However, heat styling your hair can cause a lot of damage too, if it's not done right. And not just for black women, you know, everybody, people with straight hair is super thick and they're straightening their hair regularly are breaking their hair off too. So you have to be careful no matter what you're doing to alter your texture, which is why I knew I had to get to a place where I was okay with my hair, the way it grew naturally, and then still liking the way my hair looks straight. It's just a matter of being just as comfortable and feeling just as pretty with my hair naturally curly as I do when it's straightened.
0: And where did you go to school? to College?
1: I went to school in a very small town north of St. Louis called Truman State University in Kirksville, Missouri. So, very small town, very white town, no black salons. And that's when I came face to face with this issue because I couldn't get my hair done anymore. (laughs) I had to figure it out. And it was hard. It was really hard.
0: So, why did you choose Truman?
1: I don't know. There were scholarships, there was money involved. And it was called like the Harvard of the Midwest. A lot of smart kids went there. Like a lot of people that I knew from high school that had graduated before me went there. And it was like just far enough, you know, where three hours I could be on campus, feel independent, but get home back to St. Louis to be with my family if I needed to. So it felt like a good first step out of the nest.
0: HBCU wasn't in in the question for you. That wasn't part Mm -hmm. of the conversation. I don't even think that
1: was even, yeah, it wasn't even like, thinking about it or not thinking about it. I was looking at schools. I got looked at Mizzou, which was an hour and a half away from St. Louis. And they had had a lot of issues with racism. And so my dad was like, no, he cut that one out. And that was also the school that was big for journalism in the area. And he cut that one out for me. Like, you're not going there and dealing with that if it's in the news now. (laughs) You don't need to be up there, a part of that culture. And so Truman- I would imagine
0: any school, any white school in that area- Oh, would be yeah. have a racism problem. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yes. I mean, there were times, you know, in Kirksville, of course, where th- there were certain restaurants and places where I'm like, we shouldn't be here. and definitely shouldn't be here after 7 p.m., you know. But I never, thank God, ran into any situations. I felt like I've always been covered, you know, in my life and and carried. So very blessed.
0: Were you still on the serve doctor track?
1: No, by the time I got to Truman, I had Already decided psychology, even though I wanted to be like an MD for some reason and not because I wanted it, but that's because like what society told my parents I should want. And so that's what I thought I wanted. I decided to do psychology. And so I went in as a psych major and graduated as a psych major with a minor in statistics.
0: (laughs) You started wearing your hair in Afro puffs Mm
1: -hmm. by necessity. halfway through. Yeah, yeah. So the story goes. No one. I only told this story like one time, I think, in my life. The guy I was dating, who went on to be my husband, was a Kappa, and they would party very, very hard, like every weekend. And I'm a small person. I weigh like 100 pounds, and just can't drink that much. And I remember, I think it was sophomore year. There was a weekend where there was a lot of partying and I threw up in my hair. <laughs> so, and my hair was straight and beautiful the night before. And when I woke up, it had just enough vomit in it to where I'm like, you've got, I had to wash my hair for the first time. Because up until that point, my hair would be washed and dried and styled by my stylist in St. Louis. This would be the first time in my life at like 20 This was a huge dilemma. And I'm like, when I woke up, I remember just like, first of all, like, where, okay, where am I? I'm safe. Excellent. I'm alive. And I remember touching my hair and being like, shh, (laughs) I cannot believe I did this. Like, what was I doing? I have to wash my hair. I had to go and buy shampoo and conditioner for the first time in my life. And then I had to bring it back to the dorm. And I was still like in a public bathroom situation and wash my hair. And I was scared, and it was funny. I was able to laugh at the time, but it was still scary. Like when I left that bathroom and went out where my friends were. And my boyfriend at the time was, and I remember him laughing and saying like, oh, you look like like Michael Jackson or like Janet Jackson, like jerry curl. Because it was, you know, my hair is fine. And so it was curly and wet and shiny. <laughs> and I didn't know like what to even put in it. And then as it dried, it turned into an afro. But it was a lot because I was still looking outside of myself for validation. Like, does it look good? Do I look crazy? And of course everybody was going to confirm my fear that I looked crazy because natural hair was not the style. It was not in, it was, there was no movement yet, even though there were plenty of black women wearing afros. still, you know, in 2003, 2004, there were plenty of black women doing it already, but not in my world, not in my circles and not at that little school in Missouri. I was the only one. So I learned quickly though. I started researching how to straighten my hair, not how to wear it in afros yet. Like I just wanted to learn how to flat iron my own hair. So take some power back. And I learned, I bought the products that the internet told me to buy and I bought a flat iron and I completely burned my hair out, you know, (laughs) after like three months of feeling fabulous because I had control over how straight my hair could be at all times. Of course I abused it and I burned it. And so that was Maybe moving into junior year, when I knew, okay, you learn how to straighten your hair. Now you need to learn how to let it be great in its natural texture. And so that's when I started learning about like the science of black hair, the science of curly hair, and how to make it look good. And I started to be inspired by pictures I saw online of women with Afro puffs, you know, women with braided like front. And then like Afro puffs in the back and started rocking it and was still met with a lot of, oh, what is this from friends and colleagues in college? But I didn't care because I'm like, this feels right. You know, like I'm not having to slave away over my head every other weekend with a flat iron and there's smoke going and the products stink, you know, like this feels, my hair smells good. It's healthy and I I'm starting to like my curls. Like I was beginning to love my hair for the first time in my whole life. And my family, when I went home for the first time with my Afro puffs from college, they did not like it. (laughs) They were not as jazzed about it as I was. And that was challenging, but not enough to get me to stop.
0: What was the pushback from them? What did they say about it?
1: It came from a deep place of love and protection. Just, you know, the same stuff of, you re sacrificed everything to get you into the best schools, to get you the best opportunities. You cannot possibly do this. You're going to throw away. They're like, you're not going to get into the graduate school you want to go to. You're not going to, you know, get the jobs that you want to get. You know, you can't go to interviews like this. And I'm like, I think I can. I'm going to try. Because if they don't want me, then I'm not going to be there. I don't, I'm not supposed to be there. You know, if I'm judged by the way my hair looks. So, I did it anyway. And I, now I know they hate that story. But I mean, like, it's a part of my journey. You know, I had to survive them <laughs> first, you know, and those comments hurt more than the strangers at school, you know, and the friends at school judging it. But it was all necessary because then when we talk about later, when I started the website, I was able to tell my story and let people know, like, yeah, your family, they're hating, but we're here. I'm here and I've been there and you're going to be that person that five years from now, those same family members that we're hating are going to be coming to you like, girl, what do I need to buy? What do I need to do? And that's what happened. And now everybody's natural. <laughs> so it just took a while for the world to catch up.
0: Yeah, you're right. I think that adds to the story, to that, that makes the story even more compelling because everybody, as you mentioned, has experienced that. You know, black women growing up in America, they all go through that process. And I want to shout out your ex because you mentioned in an interview that he was the one that was really encouraging you to go natural.
1: Yes, a hundred percent. Like he was the only one that was saying yeah like you should continue this cuz this is not healthy like i'm watching your self-esteem go up and down with the way your hair looks and so even when my parents were against it he was like don't worry about them they'll find they'll figure that they love you and they'll get on board you're their daughter they'll figure it out and they did it just took them a little bit more time but yeah he was super supportive through the whole process and gave lots of compliments and it was fun experiencing all of that early natural hair journey with him. Cause he's looking around saying like, they're all wearing your hairstyle. Oh <laughs> like, yeah, it happened. It happened fast. It happened really fast.
0: And this is just an aside for people listening to this. You know, whenever you're resisting someone's inspiration to grow, you're, you're always going to end up being on the wrong side of history. <laughs> yep, You never go <laughs> wrong by supporting no matter how crazy yeah. it sounds. You're never going to go wrong by supporting something that someone wants to do for themselves. You know, that's not harming anybody else. They just want to do it for themselves. We get it. You love them. You care for them. You only want the best for them. But at the end of the day, it's their journey. It's their life. They have to live it. They have to go through their own process. So if you support them now, you'll be heralded in the book that gets written later on as as that one or two people that help them kind of move through that dark tunnel moment, which we all tend to go through from time to time. So at this point, Are you seeing the sort of hair journey as any sort of profession or are you just seeing it as, I want to share this with other people who are experiencing what I was experiencing?
1: Yeah. So it was my ex again, that was like, you spend so much time And this, by this time I'm in North Carolina and he's at Duke. He got his PhD from Duke, but he's still in school at this time. And I'm in my master's program at UNC Chapel Hill. And he's like, you spend so much time on these forums there were forums at the time like 2005 2006 2007 lots of hair care forums i was very well known in them as curly nikki cuz i just picked a, f- a screen name like within 5 seconds like well people call me nikki my hair is curly curly nikki and now that's what i am known as <laughs> it's crazy so very popular on those but also spending a lot of money on hair products because I'm trying to figure out what works, what doesn't work. And I'm sharing what I learned, you know, synthesizing all this for the women on these forums. And he's like, you should start your own thing. You know, maybe there's something there. I don't know. Start your own thing. And I'm like, well, I don't know HTML. I don't know anything about starting a website and who would want to read what I have to say regularly. Like, so a lot of fear was there. And I remember, I think it was October... 2008, I launched one night. I decided I had 30 articles just like in my head and I wrote them out and I joined blogger.com with $10 to spend for the domain curlynicki.com and I launched it and I had 300 folks follow me over there from the forums I was popular in. And by the next year, I was already doing like hundreds of thousands of views per month.
0: This is a pivotal point, I believe, in your story, right? And the reason is because I've done a lot of these interviews with people, people who have kind of taken the leap of faith, which it sounds like you did at this point when you launched this this site. And the the big misconception is that life is going to slow down so that you can take the leap of faith with no Mm -hmm. risk or anything like that. Mm -hmm. And yet you spent 48 hours straight. Mm writing 30 articles. Exactly. What happened (laughs) that made you say, you know what? I know I'm busy, but I'm just, I have to do it today. I have to do it this weekend or whenever you did it. What was the trigger?
1: I can't even point to it. And that's even like with recent projects that I can think about where I've taken that leap of faith. It's just, it's happening all of a sudden. It's like all of a sudden I'm in it. And that energy is there and it's powerful, and it doesn't let me sleep a lot, and it doesn't allow me to eat a lot, there's just creation happening through me. And that energy is back right now. And I hadn't felt it for a very long time. But then I can't really even say, I just remember being scared. And I can remember moments vividly, like where I'm sitting in the room talking with him. And then, and I had a Dell computer. And then I remember typing it out. And I remember posting. And I remember intuitively, like I have some weird inner sense of marketing. So I remember messaging individual members of that forum. Like it wasn't just like, hey, a big announcement in the forum on a thread. And I'm sure I did that too. But I'm like, hey, this username, DM, private message, please come and see this new site. You know, I did that for like to hundreds of women. And I've done that many times over the years when you're talking to one particular person and they know you're talking to them people reply back to you. They respond back to you, you know, like, like the responsibility is there. And people have reached out to me to do things and I make sure that I do them, <laughs> you know? So I don't know. It was just like, all of a sudden I was in it. I was doing it. And then when I started doing it, I also immediately knew for this to be successful, you have to get out there and you have to make some noise. And so I just started emailing people and I emailed Tyra Banks, her team, several times before I got a response and they're like, sure, you can write for our website. And at the time she had a TV show that was very popular, a daily show, you know, on network television. And so I wrote some articles for her website. And then of course I sent my audience over there and it got her attention because it was so much traffic to her site that she had me on the show. And so I had a two minute spot and I remember I didn't eat for like days because I was that nervous because I did not like public speaking. I had never liked it. I was terrified. I knew I was going to mess up. I could not even enjoy the whole trip to New York and you know all the prep for it and the beautiful hotel they got me and we're at the studio and all of a sudden the camera's on and I did great. And the traffic went through the roof. And after you get that one show, it's easier to get the next. But every single time I got another show, I was still dealing with that fear. And so there was fear is the way Nikki manifests, like the ego that is Nikki. Fear and anxiety has always been a very big part of my experience here. And I always thought to be truly successful, I had to get rid of that. So a lot of my early spiritual journey was trying to figure out how to squash or kill or eliminate fear. And what I've learned over time is that it's here. And I just have to do everything in spite of it being there and just see it as another thing. <laughs> it's just another object, you know, it's, it's not a big deal anymore.
0: In hindsight, what was it about those articles that you think got the attraction that it got? Like, was it the way you wrote it? Did you, were you even a great writer and you learned yeah. or, or was it so clickbaity? I, like, what was, the, what, was, yeah. what was the secret sauce behind these articles?
1: I went to, like I said, one of the best schools, probably in the country, definitely in Missouri. And I write very well, very good writer, very good storyteller. So there was a little bit of that. Looking back, I didn't write as well like as I do now, <laughs> but it was still good writing comparatively, very good writing. And it's my story tied into it. So although I'm delivering information about how to moisturize your hair, How to grow your hair, to maintain your length, to start seeing some, you know, some hang time, you know, with your curls. I'm also interjecting my own personal story, my own personal experiences, funny stories. Like it's like edutainment. So it's education and entertainment all wrapped up into one. And what I learned over the years, too, is that. People can get that hair care information anywhere, but they can only get my spin on it and my additions and interjections like from curly or from, you know, the content that I'm putting out. And I think that's what it was. It was also the frequency of content. And so I also knew like re- people, we get into habits. So if you're going to produce content, you have to produce it regularly. And I was doing three articles a day, every day of the week, including the weekends And all holidays, because that's when people were off, and they didn't really have much to do. And even if they weren't on their computers, somebody was going to be bored, you know, sitting at the family reunion or at Thanksgiving, not wanting to interact with their family members, and they were going to have content that they could read. And there would be pictures from my Thanksgiving, pictures from my family reunion, pictures from... And it sucked, too, because... And we can talk about that. it, It was hard to live that way, where everything was content. I was doing Instagram before Instagram you know, and it was a lot. It was heavy, really heavy. But I enjoyed being that light and helping women find that freedom through their natural hair and helping them discover other things. Because it wasn't just the hair. It was my vacation, like travel, showing black people that we can travel the country before all these new communities came about, like travel noir, like Curly Nikki, I was traveling to Greece and then posting articles about traveling while black, you know, and the issues you run into and how you can deal with them and how you find our community in these places, you know, so that you feel safe (laughs) and that you can see like, okay, this is where, oh, this is where we eat. Okay. You know, like just the little things. And they were not so little. They were powerful things. And that's what people continued to come back for, even when I stopped talking about hair.
0: What was the word count of these three articles you were posting a day? Like 500 words or an article or something like that? Yeah,
1: about that. So the ones with that were written by me, because then I started getting guest posts and a lot of folks wanted their content on Curly Nikki. And I there were also a lot of email interviews. So a lot of the early content was what do you call it? Like user generated? Like where there would be six questions posted somewhere on curlynicky.com. And I'd say, hey, reply to these and send me three pictures. And that's an easy way to get content, you know, because people want to see themselves up, especially if your website is popular. They want to see themselves. They're going to send it to their family members and their friends. They're going to post it on their social network, which gets you more traffic. But it also is sharing more than just my story. And that's why I enjoy being on the forums. And also, why I got over my fear, I think, of starting Curly Nikki, because it wasn't about Curly Nikki. It was a hub for people to come and share about their experiences. And I was like the thread, my story was the thread through it all. But eventually, like after those first 30 articles, there was more user generated content, you know, like those email interviews and guest post articles than there was content from me personally.
0: But you're still a one person show doing all this, right? So how much time are you spending on a day? Because...
1: No vacations.
0: We were talking, you working on Thanksgiving, Christmas, birthdays, like every day. You're waking yeah. up in the morning and thinking, what? What are the three articles I'm going to post today?
1: Exactly. What's the content going to be today? Let me go through my email, see if anybody sent anything. Nope. Great. It's on me. Let me figure this out. Let me email some folks and see if I have permission to repost this. Let me write something about this new product that I tried. And oh, I owe this one company a review, but I didn't like the product. So I'm going to have to be real. And I'm known for that too. Like It was never just like everything's great. I would tell people, well, I like this, but I didn't like this. And this is why I didn't like that. So yeah, it was 24 seven and it was very taxing on me, on my family, my mom, when I'd come home for the holidays, she'd be like, when do you take a break? I just want to talk to you because I was never fully present with anybody. I was always on my phone, on my phone, on the computer, on my iPad, 24 seven. And like I said, 2013, I, just was done. <laughs> I was like, there must be another way to live at that point.
0: At that point, are you making a good living from Oh yeah, Curly Nikki?
1: Yeah. So I always tell this story in 2009, which was the Tyra Banks year, the interview, in November. And I didn't know when I was on the show with her, I was pregnant and I didn't know yet. And so, shortly thereafter, I found out I was pregnant. And then I knew deeply I'm like, I, and I was, I was practicing counseling, I was doing psychotherapy, and it was very flexible. Like, I could leave and make my schedule, and, you know, it was in home, very, very beautiful work. And the women that I worked with loved me. But I knew I did not want to even have to go out of my house to make money and to do what I love. And I love helping people. And I think it was then end of 2009, top of 2010, where I'm like, I want to stay home and make good money and be able to be with my family, raise my family at home. And so I would walk every day when I was pregnant, three miles a day, singing, listening to Diva, Beyonce's Diva. And in my head, when there was nobody around, in my head, well, no, when there was nobody around out loud, I'd say like, I don't have to go to work to make a lot of money. I can be at home doing what I love, you know, making good money, living comfortably. And then whenever people would be out near me, I'd have that going in my head. For those whole three miles, the entire time I was walking for many months, like the whole pregnancy. And it wasn't even a month after the pregnancy that became my lived reality, my experience. And it's still my experience today. But of course, you have to be careful what you ask for because there's always challenges, you know, it's hard Living that entrepreneurial lifestyle. You know, it's not easy. You do get your time, but you you have to use it wisely.
0: One of the comments that people like you, and actually I get this a lot too, and I I was talking to Gary Zukap on my podcast, the guy who wrote Seed of the Soul, Mm
1: -hmm. and he
0: told a story about when he was writing that book and he was so obsessed with it, he just wanted to spend every waking moment working on this book because it was essentially being channeled. All of his friends and family would say, you're working too hard, Gary, you're working too hard. Yeah. (laughs) And he told this really beautiful anecdote about how if the project that he was working on was sort of this person that he really enjoyed spending time with who lived on an Island and he had to row out there every day to spend time with them. And his friend says, you're always rowing out to this island, you know, you need to take a break, take a vacation. It's like, well, this is what I enjoy doing so much. I don't want it. This is my vacation. Taking this trip is what I ultimately want to be doing. And I'm just curious what sort of pushback you were getting around that and and how you you kind of move through that. Because I think that could be really helpful for people who are also in the process of landing on something they're passionate about, because you're going to get that pushback.
1: Oh, yeah, you're going to get the pushback. You're going to get the judgment. You're going to get people that are like, I just want your time. But if for me, like in the early days, it did not feel like... So from 2008 until 2013, CurlyNikki.com took up all of my time, and it did not feel like work. It was my joy, and it was constant, but it was my joy. And so when I would hear that and I'd get that pushback, I almost didn't hear it. I would hear them... And I would share that this experience that we're having, because it wasn't just me that was at these events where there was a thousand women waiting in line, you know, in Times Square to meet me and Tracy Ellis Ross. My family was there too, getting to have that experience. You know, my mom was able to tell people at the salon, like, oh, Curly Nikki's my daughter. And so when she's like, I just want some time. I'm like, I know. But I'm trying to make this work. <laughs> I'll try you enjoy the fruits of it, you know, like let me I have to continue to build, you know, and so they would get it kind of, but it's like the only person that truly gets it is the one that has been given the vision period, you know, so I can try to explain it. It's difficult to explain. people can watch, and now, because they've watched me for so many years and they're watching me now, they know already, and they're seeing it again, you know it's. You, it's nothing that you can do but let it work through you to let life unfold as you and fulfill itself through you. And you can be blessed while it's happening and hope that the people around you can be understanding and give you the space and time that you need to let it work, let it work through you.
0: Yeah. And it all culminated in this book that you published that became a bestseller. But then you realized that you had placed yourself in a box, and those are your words, and you Mm -hmm. felt trapped. So talk about what that feels like, because again, on the surface, those certain people don't get it. And usually when you look closely at the people who don't get it in their lives, they're not really living their passion. They're probably doing a very conventional life, which is fine, but that's why they can't relate to what you're doing. But for someone who has gone down a similar journey, they usually do get it and they will Mm -hmm. support you. But then- to say, well, actually, I feel like I'm trapped. That yeah. can be a little bit surprising. So talk about that, what that feels yeah. like and 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 what led to that.
1: You know, I had achieved everything that I had set out to do with natural hair. So by 2013, with the book launch, which was in January 2013 with HarperCollins, the book was out. I had been on Steve Harvey's radio show many times. I had done television, like the major national programs, had been in New York Times, had been in USA Today and The Guardian and InStyle and Essence and Ebony, like all of the major places. But I could see that I wasn't still, I wasn't happy. You know, I have a healthy kid by this point. You know, I'm married. We have a great house, have a very nice car. I have my health. My family has their health. The business is doing great. You know, I've got great contracts and sponsorships. But it's like every morning I would wake up checking email compulsively waiting for the next news, the next big thing, the next article, the next feature. And I could see that even when I got it, when I did get the email that, oh, you get to interview Shaka Khan. Because at the time, still folks were not giving interviews to bloggers because they were scared. like It was a new thing. And I got hundreds of them between 08 and 2013 because I was out there hustling and it's hard dealing with those gatekeepers, those agents and managers, you know, but I wanted to be able to bring the natural hair stories of these women in the limelight to my readership. And so I'm doing this and I'm working over time and I'm like, no matter what I achieve and no matter, who, I could interview Michelle Obama, and I still wouldn't be happy because I'm like, who am I? Who who's next? What's next? What's next? What's next? Like that happiness was always around the corner. Like true success was always around the corner. No matter what I achieved, it wasn't enough for this ego. The way this ego was set up, I could feel that. And I was looking around at other successful people, and I could see that same energy there. And I'm like, I don't want to live like this. And the breaking point for me was in 2013. I had been vision boarding, which I don't really do. And affirmations because I really wanted my first book to hit the New York Times bestsellers list And it hit every other list and like the numbers were there. It would have been on that list, but it's subjective (laughs) and so I was done like I was crushed and I called tracy ellis ross um, Because we had just had a party together in new york crying not even about the list, but just like I shouldn't be this broken about something so insignificant and my life is good you know like what's wrong with me and she told me some personal things about her story up until that point point. and she's like we're not doing any of the stuff we're doing for accolades for awards for attention she was like i'm like you're right you know everything that i had done and the reason why i was successful was because it was it's a service everything i've done has been a service to people you know curlyniki.com was free content you know i never charged anyone anything except for the book you know, like the events were free. Everything was free that I did. Cause I just wanted to be able to help people feel better. And when she said that, I was like that, that, and she's like, so you need to read better books, like, you know, law of attraction and stuff like that is great, but you have to go deeper. And she's like, you should Google law of detachment, law of detachment. And I'm like, "Ah, oh, cool. And so I did. And then like found Eckhart Tolle and Deepak Chopra, and then went on to read 600 more books and meditate daily, like four hours a day. And that was between 2013 and like 2018, completely consumed in that.
0: Did you pull back from Curly Nikki?
1: Oh, entirely, entirely. I was still posting, but it felt like work. Because by this time also, I wasn't just unhappy with like... Oh, I can see that none of these things are fulfilling. Like it felt fake having to do the content like every birthday party for my daughter, every Christmas, every trip, having to find something funny that happened so I could tell a good story to get, you know, views on the content. It just it felt fake. You know, it did not feel good. And so I was wanting to move away from all of that. Like what parts of my life do I want to share? Do I want to share any of it? Do I want to do any of this? You know, so I was at a point where I'm like, I don't want to be Curly Nikki. I don't want to be anything <laughs> to anyone. I want to run away to a monastery, you know, live in a cave. And eventually I found my inner cave, my inner ashram, which is where I reside. Even now that I'm speaking, I'm there. I'm always in the silence. But it took a, a while to get there. And it was a necessary journey and everything that led up to 2013. I'm like deeply grateful for every moment of all of it because I wouldn't have taken this this journey, the deeper journey that needed to happen, that's still happening.
0: So you said that you realized that what you had been searching for, which is true happiness, right? Inner happiness had already existed inside Mm -hmm. of you. You read all these hundreds of books. It's one thing to sort of intellectually understand this concept. How were you able to integrate it over those... Post twenty thirteen years,
1: it took so long. So, like at the end of twenty fifteen, I had began practicing what I did not know how to name yet. But I later learned it's called like practicing the presence of God by Brother Lawrence. Practicing love, like I found in my deeper meditations, like about twenty to thirty minutes in, I'd feel a very palpable peace that was there every single time. It just took about 20 to 30 minutes to get to it. And so I thought I had to be sitting or laying in corpse position. That was one of my favorite ways to meditate back then for a while before I could become aware of that and that it can only happen when I was in meditation. After some years, I noticed, oh, this is here. doesn't matter if my eyes are closed or if my body is seated formally or laying down on its back, this is accessible always. This peace is here. And so the end of 2015, like October, I started practicing this regularly and found a book even called You Feeling E-U Filling by Frank Kinslow, Dr. Frank Kinslow, which explained what I was doing. And it felt like such a huge like confirmation for the whole practice that I had been doing for years. A peace, a love, a joy that I was not generating falsely, that was already always there. I just had to keep turning back to it, turning toward it, feeling it. I remember December 2015, like my worst nightmare, the thing I'd been wanting to not happen that I knew was inevitable, my grandmother, who was my best friend, was passing away. And so I'm in St. Louis with her and I'm in the room with her and it's just the two of us, of course, because it's, it's life is like a movie. And it's just the two of us and she's taking her final breaths. And I remember... There was sadness there, of course, that grief was present, but right there was the peace that love was there too. So Nikki is tearful and saying, thank you. I remember audibly saying thank you, even though she was unconscious and she stopped breathing and there's tears, but there's love and that same peace that I would be aware of in meditation and that I had been practicing was there in that terrible moment and I'm like, if I can feel peace now, here with this situation that is unfolding, I will have peace forever, everywhere, no matter what comes and no matter what goes. And so in that moment, I knew this is what I've been searching for. This is an anchor, you know, this is it. And now, how do I make it so that? I'm never forgetful of it so that I'm always living as this. And so that took, so that was the end of 2015, 2016. I found Joel Goldsmith and the infinite way. His book was life-changing. I didn't learn anything new in the book. It was just more confirmation that this love is all there is, that it's just this piece and you just have to practice it until you recognize that it doesn't have to be practiced, that you are it. And so that became like, that's still to this day from 2016 until today. Just kind of marinating in and as that but from 2016 until like 2018 It felt like I nikki would go in and out of it that I would forget it For moments like now never but i'll explain why so I remember You know in 2017 sliding into a hot bathtub And listening to a muji talk. I think it was the invitation and I don't know what it was. I'd heard the invitation. If you have not heard it, you should listen a million times. And I I don't remember exactly what part it was on, but it triggered in me, like clearly this is always already here, no matter what Nikki is doing, no matter what her body is doing, no matter what her mind is thinking, no matter how upset she is or how happy she is, this peace is. And then there was like an identification with the peace as opposed to an identification with Nikki. So whereas before it felt like, Nikki is aware of peace. That's two. That's Nikki and peace. Nikki aware of peace. In that moment, it was very clear that there's only peace and that there is an awareness of Nikki sometimes. And so that became much easier. It's like a less, it's not as heavy of a lift as Nikki having to stay aware of peace. There's just peace, only peace. There's no Nikki really. And so staying there and practicing that from like 2017 until like now, <laughs> you know, everything changed. My whole life changed from the inside out. Everything, everything.
0: Talk about your transition into that because now you're very much sharing those principles. And I'm sure you, you're a natural marketer. You're very good at amplifying the things that you feel very committed to, but you have this other understanding that's not now been embodied into your, your life and that it's not about achieving something in order to be happy. And I've always found this to be an interesting sort of dilemma with, because I've been obviously, you know, in this space, meditation space for a very long time. And in a way, I'm selling meditation, like I'm selling the lifestyle, right? Yeah. So I'm telling people what you're looking for is inside of you, but you have to have these experiences first in order to, <laughs> yes. in order to feel it. So how, yeah. how do you navigate that? And how has it informed your transition into what you're doing now, which is your podcasting, which we want mm. to talk about as well?
1: It's challenging but it's not as challenging as I thought. Like I still have a difficult time with some pieces of it. And it's like a constant moment to moment practice for me, especially now sharing publicly regularly, but making the priority, the practice of being the witness and watching Nikki. So I feel tremendously grateful to be in the position to experience some of the things I was experiencing, you know, with the height of curly But now as a witness and not as just Nikki trying to make things work, like there's a level of faith that is here. There is a level of, you know, I I always sometimes to think that the desires that I become aware of are not desires really as much as they are like premonitions. Like, is this something that came into my awareness because it was on the way anyway? As opposed to this is something I'm lacking and so I'm desiring it and now I'm gonna work toward it. It feels like I become aware of things and then I watch the unfolding of that thing. And if I look back in time, you know, quote unquote in time, it seems like that's how it's always been. You know, like there is this idea and I'm like, I want that. And no, it's not that I want that. It should be more like, oh, that'll be fun watching that. Happen, <laughs> you know, because it's going to happen. And so I kind of try to stay in that position because it's a lot less pressure there. It's a lot less stress there. And there's a lot more faith there that God is here. Wherever I am, God is. And it is working through me or as me, and it's fulfilling itself through me. And the weight of the activities and the responsibilities are not really on me, even though I'm working again, 24 seven, you know, this new podcast, Good Mornings with Curly Nikki. It's a constant daily recording and there's editing and there's marketing and there's the emails. And it's a lot, it's a whole lot more than what I was doing a year ago where I would mostly just get up and go sit at the beach, (laughs) but I was still reading, you know, and kind of preparing for this, this time. But yeah, I just, it's almost like, Moment to moment witnessing, and then there's these impulses like, Let me email this person at this company, or let me reach out to this individual because maybe they can help me amplify this. But there is a great drive to again help people feel better, and I think like that's been my underlying goal from the beginning. And even when I'm not actively doing a project, like before I launched this podcast. I was just sharing on Instagram. I don't use Instagram the way you're supposed to use it. It's just like a bunch of words for me. I share a lot of, probably too many words and captions. But no matter where I find myself at a restaurant, you know, in the airport, this conversation we're having is a conversation I have with everyone the Uber driver, you know, the stranger, you know, on the train, everywhere I go, whoever I'm seated with, I'm supposed to be seated with them. And we end up talking about this in some form. And people share things that are very private and very deep with me immediately. And I feel compelled to share things that are very private and very deep only because I know that when I share how I got through those dark moments as being like, I felt like I was the light in those dark moments. And I just had to continue to remember that I am the light in the dark moments, sharing the way I got through them can help them get through their darkness to get through their dark moments. And I feel blessed to have gotten through mine. And now I feel a huge responsibility to help other people and just relieve their suffering. We're all suffering. I feel like I suffer now in order to be able to help. And so whenever new suffering comes, I'm like, ah, of course, but I'm not worried anymore. You know, when a new situation presents itself or something comes up that seems to be a problem, I'm like, this is good. Let me feel love. Let me turn back to truth. Let me be love. And then watch it, the issue, the problem dissolve or get fixed. And then I can tell the story to help the person that needs this story to help them get through theirs. So I appreciate it. I appreciate them, all the sufferings that come and they come. <laughs> they come.
0: <laughs> you actually did a really beautiful summary of this podcast. This is actually why I like to tell these stories of oh. people who've gone through their dark tunnel moments yes. only to discover that the light that they're looking for is them. It's you're the light.
1: Yes. And when you turn
0: uh, your uh, light, when you start shining brightly, you give other people permission to do the same. So beautiful
1: and true.
0: Yeah. I appreciate you. I just have one more question about your podcast. So it's a daily podcast, which I know a lot about doing things daily <laughs> and it's, it's no small, it's not for the fainted heart, put it that way. No. Why did you decide to make it a daily
1: commitment? It kind like I said, the energy feels like curly Nikki.com 2008 energy. It was, I think, January of this year when the idea started kind of coming together where I'm like, I need to share this in a way that is not just on zoom once a week. I was doing that for a while on Mondays. I'm like, I need to share on social, but lives don't feel like me. Like I'm not really a video person. Like I do TV and stuff, but I'm not excited about being on camera, but I'm, I noticed that what I enjoy doing the most is talking to women one-on-one on the phone. So people would DM me these long messages. And I'm like, honey, I do not have time to reply to you the way I want. So here's my number. I've done this thousands of times. And then I talk to them for free. I talk to them for free. because I, I mean, I'm like, okay, this is what we're doing. Because I've had so many people help me like that too. You know, teachers and messengers and Tracy Ellis Ross took my call for free, you know, and talked to me for like 45 minutes. So it Feels necessary. And if people are reaching out to me genuinely, I respond. And so I'm on these calls, and I, these people they keep in touch with me. And they're like, This has happened and this has changed. And that thing you told me that day a year ago, everything changed. And I could feel it. I'm, I can feel the energy and the love when I'm on those calls. And I'm like, This is what I'm supposed to be doing. And I'm like, How can I do this though? Because I can't share the calls, you know, I can't share transcripts of the calls, and people aren't gonna be comfortable enough like doing like my podcast and sharing this intimate stuff with people publicly, and I'm like, but I could do like a radio show, a podcast where I'm not responding to questions, but just sharing the stuff that's worked for me over time. This is the stuff that has worked like these practices I've lived with and have practiced for years and years, so it's like I know what works for me and it's it feels very personal but we're all one. And so it came like if I share just short 10 minutes cuz I'm doing this. Actually back up. It didn't this idea started formulating in November of 2020 because the pandemic was still happening. I've got the kids and I was getting up at like 7 or 8 Every day right when it was time to start with school and breakfast and life And i'm like if I don't start waking up earlier i'm gonna go crazy Because I just didn't have time to be alone again. Like I never was alone It was always somebody calling my name. And so in november november twenty eighth, 2020 I started waking up at 5 a.m Intentionally and getting out of the bed That's when I said I stopped meditating and getting out of the bed and sitting at my little altar for two hours some of it Japa, some of it quiet meditation, some of it journaling, some of it listening to uplifting music or talks. And then I'd start my day. And I believe the podcast came out of this daily habit of waking up before the sun. And so instead of going to the beach now before seven hits, I cut the microphone on and just share a bit of the love that I've been marinating in since five in the morning. And people are responding well to it. And it, it feels very natural. It feels like a natural offering. It's a lot of work, but it feels like a natural offering and it feels like my purpose, at least for now. It feels like I've again discovered my purpose, at least for this time in my life.
0: I've been in Committed listener <laughs> to your oh, podcast.
1: Really? Thank you. Yeah.
0: And you have a gift. You really do have oh, a gift. And great. I do not say that lightly. I, I promise you I would not say that, that if a I didn't lot truly coming feel from that. You. Thank you. <laughs> you're a great <laughs> I storyteller. You I'd be
1: nervous. I'd be so nervous. i you.
0: <laughs> no, you're a wonderful storyteller. And you have this ability to just very succinctly get right to the point. Mm. And the points are always so profound. I've read a lot of spiritual books, been around a bunch of spiritual people, and it's not surprising that your podcast has, what is it, like the top three spiritual podcasts out there right now, which happened after like a couple of weeks, which is Mm -hmm. pretty incredible. I mean, it's a testament to everything you've been doing that's led to this. Thank you. Yeah. So I, I highly recommend anyone listening. To this to check out your podcast. Now, there are a couple of podcasts that you have. You have New Growth and you have Good Is it good Mornings.
1: Yes. You have Good Mornings with Curly Nikki's The Daily, but I also have New Growth, which has been going on since May of last year. And that's on the Be Here Now Network. And I've interviewed folks like Tracy Ellis Ross. She was appropriately my first interview. Um, I've also interviewed like Sat Guru and Rupert Spira. Amazing interview. He's probably still one of my favorite interviews to date. Um, just Byron Katie... Teachers that I've read that have changed my life and just wanting to learn more and share more and share them with my audience. And you will be on it next. <laughs> yes,
0: I'm looking forward to it. Was that a situation where they reached out to you and said, Hey, we want you to come and host a podcast? Or how did that partnership?
1: Yeah, so, you know, I told you I email people, like that's the networking I do. So it was, I just got back from Spain. And this would have been February 2020 before everything hit, right? So I was sitting, I remember I was still in St. Louis because I had flown back in there before I came back to Florida. And I was sitting in the room and I'm like, I have to do something in this spiritual space more. I can't just be talking on Instagram sometimes about this. Like, I need to do more in the space. So that night I reached out to Deepak's team And I reached out to Ram Dass' team and I said, hey, do you have any retreats coming up? Because I'd love to be a part of them, you know, to lead some meditations. You know, I share about divine love. I feel like it's in alignment with what you're doing. And Deepak's team, very gracious. They're like, hey, let's get on some lives. So I did live with them on IG a couple of times, but Be Here Now Network, the CEO got back to me and he said, let's get on a call. So we're talking, I share all of this, like I'm sharing with you right now. And he's like, we don't do a lot of retreats just like a couple times a year, but do you want to do a podcast? And I'm like, that's an interesting proposition. I'm like, "Uh, I don't really talk a lot. (laughs) I like to be silent. One. Two, that's interesting because my dad, my father had been buying equipment and pushing this idea since 2018. And so I'm like, yeah, I got all the stuff to do it. So what do I need to do? And he was like, you got to book your talent and we'll do the editing. And so got on the phone and started doing what I do and started doing the interviews, but it was not it's not frequent enough. You know, It's once a month and knowing what I know now about podcasts, you got to do them more than once every three weeks and you have to do them. If you are going to do it only once every three weeks, it needs to be on the same day of the week. There has to be some kind of regularity about it. But the interviews that I've done, I believe have been beautiful. The teachers share... Gorgeously, and I hope that it's an offering that people will appreciate years from now, too.
0: You were referring to yourself in third person a little while ago, <laughs> and you mentioned that <laughs> Curly that Nikki's thing. sort of like a persona. So, I'm curious like, you've given out your number thousands of times. I'm just imagining this. You probably get recognized a lot when you're in places like New York, LA, Philly, that kind yeah. of thing. Yeah. How do you protect your space, right? Especially when you're playing the mother role, right? When your phone rings, like, and it's a number you don't recognize, are you thinking, okay, this is somebody I gave my number to? Do I, like, how does that work on a daily practical sort of basis? Do you (laughs) you carve out time for that? Do you have two phones?
1: I do have two phones, but not for that reason. So my phone has been on do not disturb for the last two years. And so people like myself, and that's like no lie. When I first did it, my sister was like, how dare you? How dare you do this? And I'm like, if you need me, text me. I check it compulsively. I'll see and I'll return your call. But the women that I've talked to on these calls, thousands of women since 2018, they don't call me again. They'll text me rarely If they need something or if they have good news or if something's gone really wrong and they need like a quick like see through this, see through the good, see through the bad, like, you know, just like a quick refresh. It's like a lot of respect or just I'm protected by love, but I don't that's not an issue I've ever had. People know I guess they just like know it's like an etiquette, you know, like I'm not going to blow Nikki's phone up. Also, they could not because it is on do not disturb, (laughs) but that has been a tremendous thing to do as well. I mean, I know there's some people that are in situations that cannot have their phone on do not disturb, but if you are in a position where you can do it and the people that love you and know you and they are in your inner circle, they can text you and you can call them back immediately. And it has changed my life. I love living this way. (laughs) I have no alerts ever. Nothing dings ever. Only time I turn it off is like, you know, if the kids are away from me, but other than that, it's on DND 24 seven.
0: And you have two daughters.
1: I have a daughter and a son. My daughter is 10 and my son is four.
0: Okay. So now that you're a mom, two kids, what sayings have you noticed yourself echoing <laughs> in your household to your kids?
1: You know, it's funny. My son the other day was like, he had done something. He had spilled something on the floor that I had told him to be careful about. And I looked at him when it was all over the floor and he looked at me, he caught my eye and he placed his hand over his heart. And he said, mommy, can you feel the love? can you feel your love oh <laughs> my like, oh my goodness and i all i could do was smile and laugh and i'm like i can feel my love you know i can feel it cuz that's what and like when he's scared at night you know when it's dark and he watched something with his sister i told him not to watch and now he's afraid of like like a darth vader cartoon image he'd seen I'm like, you know, feel your love whenever you're scared. Because I was scared at night my whole childhood because I read terribly scary things. And I was also afraid of the dark. So, you know, instead of just being like, go to sleep, you know, I'm like, let's feel love. Let's practice this, you know. And he does it and he gets it. And I know he does. But I think it's funny that when he knew I was frustrated in that moment, he's like, where's your, you feel your love? (laughs) Where's your love? (laughs) Please feel it. I don't want to be in trouble. So yeah, that I'm always just leaning into that. With them.
0: You've had the conventional idea of success, right? Mm-hmm. You've been through that. That was in yeah. 2013. How is Nikki thinking about success these days?
1: I see more boundaries these days, you know, like there's some parts of my life that I don't feel compelled like to have to share in order for people to feel my authenticity. I don't feel the need to Like entertain like there were parts of curly that weren't authentic To who I am as a person and even when people would meet me in person like at events They'd be like you're not nearly as like loud or as animated as I would have imagined because my writing voice was very like Hey girl, and i'm not like that at all so it feels Like success for me is like truly Authentically me like this podcast is an authentic offering It's who I, except for like I cuss quite a bit. So that part is not in the podcast so I can keep a clean rating. But other than that, it's who I am. This is who I am. And that feels good to be who I am without compromise. That's dope. That's freedom. That's success. Also comfort, you know, like just wanting my family to be happy and comfortable and free to pursue the things that, are of interest to them, you know, because I don't know who my son is or my daughter is like what they're going to become, who they are supposed to be. So making sure we have the ability to explore and experiment with different, you know, cool things and activities and spaces, that's important to me too.
0: I want to just wrap this up by looping back around the childhood. The two things that are sticking out to me are your, the dichotomy between the scary books that you're Uh, evidently obsessed with reading and the occult reading. (laughs) And so so you have the darkness and you have the light, right? And there's a little bit of ambiguity in each one because the darkness is dark, but we don't really know why. It's just a story that someone told themselves and the light. We don't really know where things are going after we die, but we suspect that there's it's to a better place. Right. Mm -hmm. And it's filled with love. Mm
1: -hmm. And
0: so looking at your whole journey now and tying it all back together it and it's i'm being very simplistic here right but it seems as though you have become the bridge between those two worlds for yourself so cool. yeah as well as for the world right and um, it's yeah. you're helping people who are very much in the dark and they've told themselves these stories whether it's about their hair whether it's about success and what that's supposed to look like mm-hmm and you're showing them through your own life experience, which is the most valuable part of your stories. You've gone through everything that they're trying to achieve and you're just giving more context that, Hey, the light is not out there. The light is actually, it's in here and people are connecting with it because you have that ground level experience that they're going through. So I just want to acknowledge you for...
1: Thank you. That was beautiful. I never thought about it like that. That's awesome.
0: (laughs) I just want to acknowledge you for everything that you have said yes to and all of the 24 seven work that you committed yourself to in order to get to those realizations and those epiphanies that you're now sharing through your daily podcast, which is impressive on so many levels, just the commitment itself being a daily commitment, but also, and more so the stories that you're sharing and the vulnerability that's there, you can literally feel the love from listening to your podcast. So thank you very much. much. And it's, um, it's, it's an honor for me to amplify your story, your life and your work. And I look forward to you. meeting you in person one of these
1: days. Yeah, we're going to do a retreat. Duh. <laughs> no, um, we're going to do a amazing. retreat. <laughs> I'm honored to be here. It's beautiful to finally speak with you. I've watched you from a distance on social, you know, for all this time and all of Likewise. your accomplishments and achievements. So thank you for having me here.
0: Yeah, thank you. Thank you for tuning in to my interview with Curly Nikki. To learn more about all of Nikki's offerings, I would say start with following her on Instagram. She's got a massive following. She's at Curly Nikki, C-U-R-L-Y-N-I-K-K-I. And her podcast is called Good Mornings with Curly Nikki. So you definitely want to subscribe to that. If you're on the natural hair journey, you've probably already heard about CurlyNikki.com, but if not, definitely check out her website as well. I also put these links in the show notes at lightwatkins.com slash tunnel. While you're on my site, you may also see a link to my newest book, Knowing Where to Look, 108 Daily Doses of Inspiration. Many of the stories you'll find in the book are drawn from my five years of sending out those stories to my followers. And to the subscribers of my daily dose of inspiration email, which you can also subscribe for on my website. So just make sure you give yourself a few minutes to poke around and see what experiences you like to curate on there. And my final ask is that you please leave a review or a rating for this podcast, which you can do really quickly. It'll only take you 10 seconds. Just glance down at your phone. Look at the Apple Podcast app screen. Click on the name of this podcast, which is at the end of the tunnel. Scroll down past the previous episodes. You'll see the five blank stars. Just tap the one all the way on the right and you've left a rating. And if you want to leave a couple of lines about what you enjoyed about the podcast, you've left a review. Thank you for that in advance. And otherwise, I look forward to hopefully seeing you back here next week with another story from the end of the tunnel. Until then, as always, keep trusting your intuition, keep following your heart, keep taking those leaps of faith. And if no one has told you recently that they believe in you, I believe in you. Thank you and have a wonderful rest of your day. You want to get a little extra nudge when it comes to following your heart and taking leaps of faith and believing in yourself each day? Then you want to sign up for my free daily dose of inspiration email. You'll join thirty thousand other subscribers who receive a short inspirational story or anecdote that's meant to inspire you to become the best version of yourself each day. You can sign up at lightwatkins.com and you'll get your first inspirational message as early as tomorrow. Again. Just go to lightwatkins.com. You can sign up for free and you'll wake up each morning inspired to be the best version of yourself.